With threats to our nation waiting around every corner, adaptability is more important than ever. When conditions change without notice, quick strategic thinking is crucial. And with obstacles consistently impending, determination is essential in overcoming them. It's this willingness, decisiveness, and resilience that sets Marines apart. With our fighting spirit, we don't just fight battles, we win them. Marines are the constant our nation counts on to fight the unknown. And through adaptable problem solving, we do just that. Learn more at Marines.com. another episode of purple insider matthew collar here joining me returning to the show from pro football focus cap guru also occasional newsbreaker and analyst brad spielberger what's going on brad how are you hey hey doing well how about yourself i am doing okay and i know that everybody wants ota practice updates well they're going to practice tomorrow or at least whenever you're listening to this is probably when they're practicing so of course we will have analysis of how every guy looks in shorts out there and you know actually rookie minicamp usually provided at least one guy like oh this one guy had a good catch or two but they only did seven on seven drills so that made it pretty impossible to even do breakdowns brad but i I know you'll be listening closely for that but what i wanted to do with you is i wanted to now that we have a chance to take a pause here do a little quasi adafo mensa report card because you have been focused on this pretty closely since quasi adafo mensa got hired and i also force you to be because you're on the show all the time um but let me just start like with a broad the broadest view you can do on Kwesi Adafo Mensa's first couple of months as general manager. How have you viewed it? Yeah, you know, I think in some ways that is a continuation of the prior regime and that it can be viewed from a bird's eye view of, you know, trying to get a lot out of a roster that is, is probably, I mean, in my opinion, a playoff roster, but probably not an actual contending roster. And so, you know, as we talked about probably before, you would think Kwesi might be a guy that would say, you know, even if he's not going to tank, quote unquote, but he's just going to intentionally not be very good, maybe trade Kirk Cousins in a hot quarterback market, and then we try to be competitive as fast as possible. He obviously has not done that. They signed a lot of players on defense, a lot of older players. But it once you break it down, I think the big one for me was Zadarius Smith, the original reporting, I thought was one of the more short-sighted extensions of the, or contracts of the entire offseason. Once the real details came out, it's basically a one-year flyer. And they're just, yeah, they are. They're just chasing this kind of this Kirk Cousins window. Um, you know, to me, I think ownership has a lot of influence over what every club does. I do think it's a playoff team. I know you might not agree with that. I think they are a playoff team in the NFC. And if your goal is to win 10 games and maybe win a playoff game, they have, in my opinion, the, the, the group to do that. It's just, I don't know if that's what I would be going for. Well, I picked nine and eight and Vegas has eight and a half. So I think everybody is sort of in your ballpark of like, I think Vegas has them as the seventh NFC team, uh, which sounds about right to me. And that's the same area that you're putting them. And it really depends on the schedule, how good the quarterbacks play that you go up against Kevin O'Connell's coaching, like all those things for the variance. But I think that sitting here today, that's what you pick. And I think that that's maybe the biggest disappointment for a lot of fans of the offseason and why um, a lot of people I think would lower Kwesi Adafo Mensa's grade is because our expectations were just so different. I mean, you and I 
got to hang out at the combine and do a podcast there. And we went over all these options and it was like, they could do this and they could do this. They could trade Kirk and they could do all this crazy stuff and look at the analytics that look at them. And then when he didn't seemingly analytics the heck out of the roster, I think that normally we would have said if the, if it was Rick Spielman running things like, okay, well, he's given them another shot with Kirk here and it's Spielman and it's this new coach and let's see how this plays out. We would have said that's a pretty solid Spielman offseason to trade down, get a starting safety, get another cornerback who's a good prospect. But I think that expectations sort of rule everything in sports in general. And when your expectation was, okay, this guy is going to have all the answers because he's got the numbers and then it looks very similar um, yeah, I think there's some sort of, I don't know, some dissonance there between those two ideas. Yeah, you know, I think you start to then wonder, is, is A, is there potentially context coming into play? So, you know, I think you could make an argument, the NFC North, probably all three other teams, well, once they took a step back, but the Lions and Bears are, are probably not a, you know, competitive rosters. And then the Packers should have a good defense, Should you know, we, we know we're NFC North fans, they'll, they'll win the division as they always do. But in theory, losing Devontae Adams should make them a worse team than they were last year. And then the rest of the NFC, you know, the NFC South is, is, is terrible, especially after you lose Matt Ryan. Um, you know, the NFC West obviously gets weaker losing Russell Wilson. So, like, you go through all these permutations and maybe you say, look, you know, there is a pretty clear path to a playoff spot, as we just talked about. So was that weighing on him? And then it's, hey, if you come in and if you're trying to win the trust of this locker room and win the trust of, you know, a guy like a Justin Jefferson, a Christian Derrissaw, the guys that are going to be the, the cornerstones of your franchise – and if you come in and just say, hey, look, I think this team is not good. I'm going to trade everyone away and not extend anyone and, and not do anything, then, you know, maybe you lose credibility right out of the gate. So that's all these incentives that always, you know, are hard to we, – we, armchair GMs, we call ourselves. Like we think, you know, do all these things. But there are other, you know, influences and factors weighing on these guys. And I will say this. I, I still would have expected things differently. I don't think he mortgaged the future really too much at all. And that still is kind of the most important thing is like, don't really go all in on this, on this group. Maybe just, you know, make a little run if possible. Right. They did not trade their first round pick for some present star player, give away the whole roster for Tyree kill only to winning seven or eight or nine games or whatever. Um, so there is a point there of like that competitive rebuild. I think that's what Quasi Adafo Mensa meant by it. Like we're not going to do what the Rams did and just start trading everything that we have and bleep them picks or anything like that. That's not what they were going to do, but let, let's talk about some of the things that in, in your mind um, that you would say are questionable about how they handled the offseason and some of the things that look pretty good for them. Uh, maybe we could start with the cousins extension in the light of day, knowing what the draft had to offer for quarterbacks. I do think it looks different, but I don't think that it exonerates them entirely. And if they don't get more out of Kirk Cousins, and if they're not playing playoff football, then this will have looked stupendously bad. Like they they have to they have to hit on this bet, or right away we're all going to go, dude. Like you couldn't have seen this coming, right? Like like in that way, I think they took a tremendous risk of doing the same thing over and over again and having it play out the exact same way uh, and basically just foregoing a year where they could have done something differently at the quarterback position and started to reset that spot. Yeah. You know, I think when you see not only Russell Wilson go for his ma massive package, let's even push that out the window. You know, Wentz getting two thirds. Kirk is a significantly better quarterback than Carson Wentz, at least at the moment. 
Um, you know, even Matt Ryan at almost 40 years old, still getting a third round pick. Like you're getting a first round pick for Kirk Cousins, maybe not sixth overall from Carolina, as I think we've talked about before, but you're probably getting a first for Kirk Cousins. And so, especially in hindsight now, where there's literally one first round quarterback and then, you know, Ritter, whoa, like 59, like, you know, like there was, there was no interest in this quarterback class whatsoever. Um, so you would think that the trade values would be even higher given that context, but I will say the contract, in my opinion, when you look at the extension, all this is is Kirk Cousins is not franchise taggable. So we are franchise tagging Kirk Cousins via an extension. They just they just franchise tag him. That's all they did. And it still buys him the opportunity to, let's say he plays well again. Let's say Bryce Young has small hands and C.J. Stroud is in an Ohio State system that no one trusts for quarterbacks. And then maybe it's a good class again to maybe trade a veteran as opposed to, you know, take a guy for, you know, a team that's looking for a new quarterback. So you just bought yourself time. I get that. Yeah, you would obviously would have liked to explore other avenues, um, especially when you have a clean slate like him. Like, why tie yourself to Kirk Cousins when you don't have to? Um, but, you know, I look at a deal like Derek Carr, similar player, similar age, similar kind of, you know, perception and profile. His deal is also kind of just a one-year extension that's, you know, touted as a four-year deal. But there are guarantees that kick in for the second new year that probably make it a two-year deal. Kirk could have pushed for that. I mean, Kirk and his camp could have gone for two years or three years. We know they would have gone for almost the entire thing being fully guaranteed. I think getting them to agree to a one-year extension that, in my eyes, is literally a franchise tag, I actually don't think it was that bad if the trade is off the table. The thing that kept being the holdup all offseason for me every time I talked about it was the no-trade clause for Cousins. That's where I kept going but what about that? Because I left the combine and I remember on the first show after the combine, I said, I don't think they're giving him a massive long extension. I wouldn't even be surprised if they just let him play it out at 45 million. Well, they wanted to sign other players. This was kind of the only way to do it, which is exactly what happened in 2020. I remember Rick Spielman saying, well, we had to do it so we could sign Michael Pierce is like, yeah. Right. Michael Pierce. That's the thing that you needed. But uh, Mike's you know, legend. Right. Yeah. Right. I think 270 snaps in two years for the most money, by the way, that they've handed out in terms of total contract to anybody during the Cousins era that was an outside free agent. So that's just something to think about when you wonder if the salary cap is real. But, uh, you know, with this, this does still allow, though the structure for the Vikings to trade Kirk Cousins next year. He just has to agree to it. That does make it more tricky, but if they tell Cousins there's no more extension here and they draft CJ Stroud, I mean, it's going to be pretty clear, like this is not the place for you, Kirk. And I think that he probably would agree to a trade if it was somewhere else that was going to give him that final contract or something like that. Because I notice that the dead cap for moving him is not devastating if the Vikings have to do that after this year. Correct. And that is 110% by design. You know, you want to make sure that there is a clean exit. I'll say this. I've had a ton of conversations with both league side and agency side about no trade clauses because without going down a big rabbit hole, but I mean, Deshaun Watson was a free agent this offseason. Like, I don't think folks understand that. Whenever I get asked, hey, is every quarterback going to push for five years fully guaranteed now? No, because they're not going to be free agents. Deshaun Watson was a free agent. And so the no trade clause, I think, is fascinating. But what I was told is, for the most part, what it really is, is Kirk Cousins can hear, say, here's a list of five teams that I just really do not want to play for. Don't send me back to Washington. I don't want to go back to Washington again. Just like Russell Wilson apparently vetoed a trade to Washington. He has a no trade clause as well. Like, 
it actually does not get weaponized as much as you know it, it was in Deshaun Watson's case. Um, so yeah, it's definitely a big concession. It, it's a it's a big thing to give to him to let him kind of dictate how a potential trade happens. It's funny though, in a way, them giving him this this control kind of suggests like, yeah, well, we might trade you. We'll let you have some say on it, but a trade is a realistic possibility. Right. No, yeah. And and I think that even Kirk's comments is the first time he talked publicly aside from one radio interview was like what two months after his extension not exactly a sign that Kirk couldn't wait to come out and talk about it right like and he even said I guess I've got to earn being a Viking for life which was a little bit of a jab almost like oh you guys still aren't buying into me it's like well yeah usually teams buy into the winning quarterbacks in the playoffs but anyway uh so for that particular deal to me that's like a dead sea it's like you didn't ruin your future you didn't really change anything right away you may have kicked the can down the road and ended up with the same results so that's kind of how i would do it now i really am fascinated because we haven't talked since then about your opinion on the daniel hunter situation because it seemed like the lock of the century that something would happen. It would be an extension. It would be a trade. And instead they just said, you know what? That $18 million signing bonus that was actually set up here to make this a deadline. Uh, we're, we'll just pay it. I mean, which again, this sort of speaks to the ownership where this off season, people have realized that the owners are more in control than maybe they thought, but also they're like $18 million signing bonus. All right, we got that, right? Yeah, we got we got some housing developments. We're good. Um, so I, I wonder uh, your opinion on that one. Yeah, you know, not to give him a pass at all, but I think it's one of the more like difficult decisions I've ever seen a first-year GM face um, for every reason. Like you said, they put this in as an ultimatum. Obviously, you know, Spielman and Co. did that, and, and they figured, hey, either he'll play very well, we'll extend him to a decent deal, or he won't. Maybe we'll trade him. Maybe we'll just cut, outright cut him. Um, and then, again, to play very well but then get injured again, like the talent is still there. He's not old. It's actually – kind of a decent edge rusher market for teams right now like it's not there were some big deals that were handed out obviously some of the older guys like Chandler Jones and Von Miller and whatnot got these massive deals but we haven't seen the market expand from the Bosa range and uh, and the you know the TJ Watt range all that much and so I think in their mind they still think look we'll come to a next year based on how 2022 goes and, and we might be able to get him on a deal that is you know, this probably sounds crazy. The amount of times I've come on this show and said he's a $20 million plus per year guy, he might not be. Let's say he has, you know, uh, he finally stays healthy for a year, but has a decent season. They might just say, look, we'll sign you for like $18 million a year. You'll make a ton of money over your career. And, 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 and like, well, let's just get that done. And that, that might actually work. But, yeah, that, I mean, that's, that's one of the harder decisions a first-time GM has to make. It, it's impossible, you know, to know what to do there. Right. And I think if your other teams, and this is my understanding just from talking to a lot of people this offseason, that other teams and other GMs were not going to help. They were like, you're in a tough spot. No, thanks. Like when it when it comes to the Kirk situation and what the offers were for him or Daniel Hunter or Harrison Smith or Adam Thielen. I think a lot of people sort of said, yeah, you know, we'll give you the lowest possible price. And the same thing happened in the draft. And I think that sort of confirms what I thought was happening and so the best path was well if no one's going to give us what we want for these players we can't look ridiculous in public and the first time i'm being a general manager and trade away daniel hunter for a fifth round pick or something which is what happened with amari cooper but jerry jones doesn't worry about whether that looks silly or not um you know because he'd really would but i think overall 
you know, they still have Daniil Hunter. And if you're going to keep Kirk Cousins, it's like these other moves have to happen if you keep Kirk Cousins. If you start moving out your great players after keeping Kirk Cousins, then once again, you look kind of ridiculous. So you had to find a way to either get insane return or just keep Daniil Hunter. That's the perfect way to put it, yes, is that every move does have a a trickle effect on the rest of the roster. And, yeah, why would you extend Kirk Cousins and then move off of Adam Thielen coming off what? Back-to-back double-digit touchdown seasons. Like, I know he's kind of lost a step, and I think basically even he admits that, you know, by his extension, which is kind of just a restructure with a a little bit of extra cash. Like, I think he even recognizes, look, they're going to pay me fair market value, and I'm going to be well compensated, but I'm not – you know, he could have – in theory, a guy with that much you know, touchdown production could try to re-up or get some final big payday. And I think um, you know, they, they did well there to not really give that to him. Um, but yeah like, yeah, like you said, once you do that, if you're trading Daniel Hunter and Adam Thielen and you have an expensive Kirk Cousins, that's when you, you look kind of dumb. Like you said, unless, unless someone blows you at the water with an offer, which was obviously not happening. All right, so do you put this one under con- um, the category of being highly questionable or – that's a good handling or it's sort of what you were just forced to do with Daniel Hunter. Just forced to do like you just, it was impossible. Yeah. Yeah. Do you play chess? Are you a chess guy? I try. I'm not good at it, but I try. I was talking about force moves with chess, like where if you put the King in check, he has to move out of check. It's like the minute you extend cousins, these other moves are forced. So I could go through the Thielen and Harrison Smith, but it's the same conversation we just had. So here's the broader one about that is you said that like they didn't make moves that destroyed them down the road. There is the void year thing and there is dead cap space down the road on all of these contracts that we're talking about. That's the part for me that kept being the hitch and talking about it all is I think you did hurt yourself down the road with all of these things. Like if they don't go right and then you're sitting there talking about $20 million in dead cap, because this is the way you had to handle everything down the road in a year where you're going to need that and have to want to spend that. I I think that that did not help them for the future. No, hundred percent. And whenever you're pushing cap allocations on 30 plus year old players into the future, when you know, they're not going to be on your roster, it certainly does not help you at all. But um, they didn't go crazy, right? They, they didn't do it to such a degree where they're going to have some 40, 50, 60 million dollar dead cap hit on their books. Um, you know, in, in a way, it's also as long as you keep it to a reasonable degree and you, you're increasing your carryover cap space from this current year that you can then roll over and it kind of absorbs some of that dead cap from those void years. So, again, I, I'm not a fan of it. I'm not saying I would do it. Um, I'm not saying it's, you know, it, it helps them in the future at all, but as long as it's not a, a crazy number, um, in, in reality, you want, you want a little bit of dead money because it shows that your ownership is trying to win and trying to spend more cash than the cap in a given year. Um, it's just not letting it get out of hand to where, you know, a third or a fourth of your salary cap is going to guys that are not on the team. Hey, it's Kaylee Cuoco for Priceline. Ready to go to your happy place for a happy price? Well, why didn't you say so? Just download the Priceline app right now and save up to 60% on hotels. So whether it's Cousin Kevin's Kazoo concert in Kansas City, go Kevin! Or Becky's Bachelorette Bash in Bermuda, you never have to miss a trip ever again. So download the Priceline app today. Your savings are waiting. Go to your happy place for a happy price. Go to your happy price, Priceline. Another day is here, and you're ready for it. What to wear? Check. Breakfast, lunch, and dinner? Check. Planning for what's next and how to save for it? That's where Bank of America can help. For your financial to-dos, Bank of America has experts ready to help get you closer to your goals. 
Get started at one of our local financial centers or 24-7 in our mobile banking app. Find a location near you at bankofamerica.com slash talk to us. What would you like the power to do? Mobile banking requires downloading the app and is only available for select devices. Message and data rates may apply. Bank of America and a member FDIC. Folks, with baseball season in full swing, just a reminder, if you're headed downtown for baseball, make sure that you are dressed right. Go to sodastick.com for all your Minnesota baseball gear. That is S-O-T-A-S-T-I-C-K. Go to their website, sodastick.com. Check out everything they have, hats, t-shirts. If it's one of those cool summer evenings, bring your hoodie as well. Check it out, sodastick.com. You won't find anything better. Go there today and use the code PURPLEINSIDER for 15% off your purchase. Now, were you surprised that they did not move someone like Eric Hendricks or even Delvin Cook was a possibility? Kendricks, I think, was the one that I had circled as a possibility. I just don't think – I think teams are too smart to trade for veteran contract running back. Like No one's offering the good draft picks for Delvin Cook, and he's a good player. It's just not – I think the league is, is finally getting smart there. Um, Kendricks, I thought, was really possible. I, I mean, they have all these linebackers now. I know Surratt barely played last year, but you have Surratt and Asamoah now. You, 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 know, you obviously bring in Jordan Hicks. Like You have not only players there, but a, you know, a little bit of depth, I guess, but – I think at the end of the day, Kendricks is probably just too good, um, you know, and, and maybe is important in this locker room um, to let go. But I, I, he was the one that I thought was definitely possible. Yeah, I think that the locker room element and the fact that they're trying to reset the culture and all those sorts of things, like there is value in that when it became so nasty with Mike Zimmer toward the end that you don't want to move on from your Walter Payton man of the year nominee and somebody who's meant a lot to the locker room at the same time that when we're talking about efficiency, when we're saying cut by the sharpest of razor edges, that's not what they did with this stuff. Like that to me would have been being very sharp is to say, look, Eric Hendricks was an all pro several years ago. Will he be an all pro next year? Probably not. And what's the value of these linebackers in a defense that does not value linebackers? Generally, the Fangio defense does not demand that you have two amazing linebackers like I think the Mike Zimmer defense did. And as mu- and I have the greatest respect for Eric Hendricks, but like that would have been one move. The, this is the problem with evaluating Adafo Mensa so far, and we'll get to the draft because you literally wrote a book on the draft. But when you're evaluating all these moves, it's like looking for the the edges. Where did they get the the gains on the other teams that are not as analytical or not run by this guy that you hired to do these things? It's hard to find one to grab onto to be like, but they did that one. And if they had traded Kendricks, that would have been the one where I would have said, you know what? It's harsh. It's ruthless, but I like it because it really said that's just not that valuable of a position. I totally feel that, right? Where it's like we put emotion and, and all that to the side and, and just made a strictly, you know, financial and analytical, whatever you want to call it, decision. And that kind of would tell you, like, look, you know, he's going to do some things that ownership wants or he's going to make some kind of soft moves. But at the end of the day, we can point back to this and say, this shows who he really is. You know, I totally get that. I, I think the analogy maybe I would draw, um, and maybe this was on their mind, is you just mentioned the Amari Cooper thing to where, let's say, hypothetically, this is last offseason before, you know, Fred Warner and Darius Leonard double the amount of money that, that Eric Kendricks is making in a, you know, per season, then maybe they do it. But now his deal is, is something of a bargain, even if he's not going to be as good as he was, which he probably won't. But 
Um, maybe that played into it too, where he said, look, if this was still a top of market contract, maybe I would have shopped him and, and tried taking whatever I could have gotten. But now, yes, even in a defense that does not really prioritize off-ball linebackers, I mean, the Rams where O'Connell came from, literally, I mean, I guess they signed Wagner, but they just don't spend at the position at all. Um, I hear you. So maybe it was one of those kind of thinkings like, well, now his deal is actually not that bad. Mm-hmm. If you were to redo those elements, if, if they had said, Brad, you're in charge and we're not going to meddle at all ownership, how would you have handled those set of tough decisions that Kwesi Adafo Mensa had to take on? Yeah, you know, like you said, it is. It's tough because there's some trickle down effect to it. But I, I think the big one for me, which affects the rest of them, is I, I would have tried to shop Kirk Cousins, especially if I had a better understanding, which I'm sure the league did, of how little teams like this quarterback class. I mean, maybe some clubs were blowing smoke, and and there were some teams that maybe did like Malik Willis, but you know, maybe they just at the end of the day they just didn't like you know they didn't make that decision, whatever. But to know that there was going to be one guy taken at 20, and then no one else until after the what 50s, like. I would have said, look, I'm going to find a sucker that is dying for a quarterback and I'm going to get rid of Cousins for whatever I can get. Um, so that would be the big one for me. And, yeah, you'd be pretty bad. I mean, I don't know who your quarterback would be. Like, I understand that, but I, I just, I'm not sure I would really care. Um, and then Phelan, I think you just keep him around. He's like a sells jerseys, sells tickets, local kid, all that. But I, same thing as they did, really. It restructured. If you if he asked for a new money, I would say no. Like, it's you know, we're not really doing that. Um, and then Hunter and Kendricks, you probably shot. And, and I think, but I, I will say at the end of the day, like you can't take bad value just because you want to get a guy off your books unless he caught, you know, unless it's Amari Cooper, right? Like that deal for the fifth looks great for the Browns. Yeah. I mean, he also, unlike most contracts where it's, it's, it, there's a lot of big money in the signing bonus, and then it gets smaller payments. Cooper is owed three years, $60 million. Like it's still 20 million per year, just like it was the day he signed the deal. So that impacted the Browns' compensation there. So, yeah, long rambling answer. But really just the, the one that I just would have done differently is just try to get someone to take Kirk and get at least a first-round pick, and I think they would have gotten one. Yeah, I think the answer is the guy who plays for Atlanta, Marcus Mariota, would be somebody that you'd chase after or you'd try to give Jameis Winston more money than New Orleans did. And, I mean, with Mariota, this is a guy who has won nine games before in a season. Like, it's not impossible that someone's really good backup with Justin Jefferson and a good offensive system could also win games, especially with some mobility. That was always my thinking is like, I know we think that this gap between cousins and someone like Mariota is humongous because of quarterback rating and PFF grade. But in terms of can they win or can you be the 14th best offense in the league? It's probably smaller than you think. Um, Now the allocation of funds otherwise in free agency, who they signed uh, Zadarius Smith, Jordan Hicks, Patrick Peterson, Harrison Phillips, these players, uh, what is your give me give me a grade on their decisions of how they spent the money that they created by kicking it down the road with those other veteran players? Not only that, but I mean, I just why are you prioritizing defense? Um, and, and I was going to bring that up. I mean, yeah, they did cut Michael Pierce, but at one point, you know, they had three nose tackles on the roster, and I was like, all right. So I, I thought I thought Zimmer left. I, I didn't realize Zimmer was still in the building, but um, yeah, I mean, I, I had the same issue with the Bears, like, and, and obviously it didn't go through, but. Your one big ticket acquisition being Larry Ogunjobi on the interior. It's like, even if he's a good player, it changes your win-loss column zero. He doesn't change it at all. So are Harrison Phillips, Pat Pete, and Jordan Hicks, like, you know, they're solid players. None of the deals are crazy. But if you really do want to say, look, we're trying to milk every last thing out of this roster. You hire Kevin O'Connell. 
Go spend on a, a wide receiver three. Go spend on another tight end to replace Conklin or be more competitive in keeping Conklin. Go add, look, I think they have enough kind of depth and pieces on the offensive line now, but go add a legit starting guard and just end that question. Go replace Garrett Bradbury. Just get a set. Go, you know, sign J.C. Treader, which I know Vikings fans are hoping they still do and that his dad's liking tweets and whatnot. But, like, I just don't get if you're going to have the mentality of we're going to chase whatever we can get out of this group, then why are you spending on defense when we know, like, Sure, you might raise the, the floor of your defense a little bit, and maybe it helps a little bit. But if you really want to say, look, maybe we can win two playoff games with Kirk Cousins, then just go nuts on offense. Like that, That's what you should do. Yeah, I felt the same way, and that was the thing that I kept coming back to. And uh, somebody sent me a message, uh, an email that said, like, you got me all excited for more offseason uh, you know, weapons to be added and for them to go all in on offense. And then they didn't do it. And I was like, I don't know. They didn't tell me what they were going to do before they did it. But uh, I felt the same way, even as it pertains to the draft, which we'll get to in just a second. But one of the struggles that I have with short-term contracts for veteran players when your team is in competitive rebuild mode is that you have to replace them again. It's like you sign Michael Pierce, then he's gone, and now you have to bring in another Michael Pierce, and it's Harrison Phillips, whose deal is probably the best of all of them because it spans over multiple years and he's a little younger. But Jordan Hicks, that's a one- or two-year thing. You have to replace him. And uh, Zadarius Smith, you have to replace him. They didn't draft anybody on the defensive line outside of the fifth or sixth round. It's like, okay. Um, so what's the future of the defensive end position? If, if none of these guys that you've drafted over recent years can develop into stars, then what next year you're getting two new edge rushers. If Daniel Hunter has to go like, and the same thing. So with the cornerback position, they drafted Andrew Booth jr. That's a good thing to do. So maybe it doesn't apply as much, um, to Patrick Peterson, but it's, that's always the case that like you're bringing in these guys for short term. And then look, Xavier Woods, you had to replace him. Because you didn't sign somebody long-term and you didn't draft anyone in the past and develop them for that spot. So then you had to draft Lewis Seen. And it even goes to the left tackle position where it's like they drafted Ezra Cleveland, moved him to guard immediately, got rid of Riley Reef. Now you have to draft another left tackle. And so they're constantly having these players filter in, filter out, and then tr- chasing that. And then if you bust on a single pick, like, uh-oh, now you're in a lot of trouble and now you got to go do it again. And I think that's, and then it's, oh, well, you know, they didn't play good defense through week eight because of chemistry. Like, well, that you, you made your own bed with that. And I think that's that's the most trouble I have that I thought they would try to sign guys who were 26 and just sign them to multi-year deals. And when they signed older players outside of Harrison Phillips, thought, well, these are guys that might not be on your team even next year. So yeah, I totally hear you there. And it's like, look, we're never filling holes. We're just plugging it. And then the holes coming back open in, you know, nine months. And I, I hear you there. I guess maybe one thought, even though you still have to sign guys, is maybe they're looking to get in the compensatory free agent game where, you know, let's say you sign Zadarius Smith to a one-year deal. He gets healthy, has a great season. And then you say, look, we're not going to keep him. We're not going to give him the big deal now, but he'll go out there and, and get a big deal um, from somebody else. Although I guess his deal is multi-year in reality. So he's not, he's probably not a good example there, but like, you know, and, and Pat Pete's too old, but they're always thinking of all these kind of like ways it could play out. But I, I hear you there. And it's, you don't want to get caught in, you know, spending the big money on, you know, Brandon Sheriff and saying, Hey, we fixed right guard, but we also give a guy who plays eight games a year, you know, the, the biggest contract in the history of the NFL for, for a guard. Um, so it is, it's, it's tough, but, but I do hear you there. Like you would think 
you would target younger guys instead of going after a Patrick Peterson, take a flyer on a Steven Nelson or instead of, you know, and those are not really similar players, but like just, just take what you can get for guys that might become multi-year players. Um, I mean, look at green Bay. I probably wouldn't have extended both of them, but you know, you signed a Rasul Douglas who's kind of bounced around a little bit. And then now you extend him because he's young to, you can still keep him. Look for more of those type of moves than 30 plus year old guys that you know are not long-term answers. No, that's a great point. I think if you're rebuilding in any way, you look for, hey, this guy only played 400 snaps for Team X and he's 26, but there might be something there. Shannon Sullivan is the only guy that was really like that. I thought there would be like six guys like that. Um, so that that approach, again, puts pressure on them. You really truly have to win this year to justify what you did there because it didn't help you in the long term. Now the draft... Your name is in one of the charts that everybody cites. So there is chart drafting, which we have been over quite a bit on the show and how everybody's got their own different evaluation. But on the whole, the handling of the draft by Quasi Adafo Mensa, how did you feel about it? Jewelry isn't a gift you give just once. It's a way to remind your loved one of a beautiful moment every time they see it. Blue Nile can help you find the gift that says how you feel and says it beautifully with expert guidance and a wide assortment of jewelry of the highest quality at the best price. Go to BlueNile.com and experience the convenience of shopping Blue Nile, the original online jeweler since 1999. That's BlueNile.com to find the perfect jewelry gift for any occasion. BlueNile.com. When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply. Yeah. So, you know, I will say that, and, and I saw, you know, I break all these numbers down and yes, if you look, whatever chart you look at historically moving from 12 to, you know, I mean, we don't see a lot of 12 to 32 trades, but a team trading down from 12 does generally get more value than what he got based on, you know, the fifth Gerald Spielberger chart or other charts, but a, there's the context of every year is different, right? So, in classes where there's a bunch of good quarterbacks, like, you know, 2021, trades were more expensive in 2021 than they're going to be this year. And, and this year, not only were not good quarterbacks, there weren't really, like, premier edge rushers that teams were in love with. There weren't tackles outside of the top group that teams were in love with. So, yes, relative to other trades in that area, it was not a great value trade. But that's kind of what the whole book we wrote is about, is that 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 is a fallacy in itself. He got, in our opinion, he still got positive value. I mean – I, I keep pointing to this, but the Cowboys, when Jerry Jones held up their list of their favorite prospects, Lewis Cena was like 13th on the list. Like, he was a first-round prospect for a lot of clubs, and they got him with the last pick in the first round. They add, you know, another top 75 pick in the process of that trade. And I know Jameson Williams is an exciting player. The Vikings, I've been told K.J. Osborne's a stud, but I think they could use another receiver. Um, but anyway, long story short. I think the thing that I always come back to, and this sounds kind of silly as well, but when you make all those trade downs or the first big trade down, it enables you to get Andrew Booth. Trading down lets you then trade up if you need to make a move. And, and look, the Patriots are the same thing. The Patriots moved down. Yes, they reached on Cole Strange. They got great value from the Chiefs, though. They still took a player that people didn't like they took. With that extra capital, 
They traded back up for Tyquan Thornton, which I actually didn't like at all. But still, the Tyquan Thornton trade probably does not happen unless the Cole Strange trade happens. So, like, in my opinion, it's all fluid. It's all together. Um, so, yeah, long story short, the day three dealing I thought was a little too Ricky. And, um, you know, my guy Ryan Poles did it too. They traded down, I think, five times on day three or four times. Um you know, I understand it a little bit less then. You know, our chart doesn't even say, like, you should be trading down to get extra fifth and sixth round picks. But early draft, I mean, look, I think Cine, Booth, Ingram, I don't know much about it, if I'm being honest. And then Asamoa, like, I think it's a good first four picks. And then I know he was watching a Caleb Evans in the dark. So I know he's pumped about his first five draft picks. I, I thought it was fine. I just, I think you have to understand that, like, he doesn't care what the Jimmy Johnson chart says. I mean, they, the, that chart thought they lost the Lions trade by by a billion miles. He doesn't care, and we don't think he should care either. So um, I know it's controversial, but I, th- I thought he did a decent job in how he maneuvered until the end when it's like, just make some picks. <laughs> well, one of the things that I try to avoid ever saying on the show is we'll see because that's just boring. Like, well, we'll see who wins. Like, yeah, right. Of course we will. Yeah. But in this one, it very much is a we'll see because they traded within the division. And I think that there, that it is fair to put on the brakes and say, if you gave them a superstar though, then you mess this up. <laughs> like a lot of this really how we evaluate. And that's why it's fun to do the grading and give them a report card now. And then you and I can talk again, if, you know, whenever and halfway through the season and be like, well, we were wrong in grading it, however, or right. Um, but the, the one thing that I just can't really move past is Amon Ross St. Brown. Now, Jamison Williams, they add DJ Shark. Like, there's just opportunities there for Detroit to all of a sudden put together a really impressive offense. And you said, "Here you go. Want a great player? That that's where like Lewis Seen, I think, is a great prospect. And seeing him up close in person, one of the first things you notice when they draft players is like, is the guy big? Like, does he? And it sounds silly, but like, there's always the height, weight, but you got to see him. Like Brian Asamoa looks really small." Lewis seen looks really big and this guy runs a four, three, like, Whoa, okay. You got a good prospect there, but you get in the process. You gave your own direct contender who's rebuilding a potentially great player too. I don't know if there's a chart that values that. So I was going to say that is the <laughs> one thing um, where you, you generally, we, we notice a premium when you trade within your division, whether that's for player trades or for draft pick trades. So like, even you know, and the Patriots sending a third round pick for Devontae Parker, they did get a fifth round pick back. But like I think if Miami makes that trade with another club, they're not getting a third round pick. They're probably getting a fourth round pick, in my opinion. So yes, we knew with the Lions. I mean, but the same token, though, if Jamison Williams sucks, you just gave your rival just traded a ton of picks with a bad roster to go get a guy coming off a torn ACL who literally transferred a year before he got drafted because he couldn't crack the top three at Ohio State. Like you can play both sides. And then for Green Bay, look, Christian Watson will probably, you know, go for 1,500 yards next year. But I I didn't like him as a prospect at all. And that trade, I don't care what chart you look at, they robbed the Packers blind. So, like, it it does go both ways. Um, But, yes, you know, like you said, we got to have our takes now. We can't just – I hate, no, the hindsight analysis of – well, if he turns into the Hall, yeah, no, no S. Like, yeah, the guy turns into a Hall <laughs> of Famer. It was a great trade. Like, thanks for that analysis. I appreciate that analysis. So, yeah, so I hear you on the Lions one. Um, there is some risk there. You gave the guy a, a player that a lot of people thought may have been the number one wide receiver in the class, um, and you didn't get a ton of value um, in trading with an in division team. You still, like I said, in my opinion, you didn't lose the trade, but 
you should probably push for more, which is kind of silly in some ways, but you know, it's not like you should push for more. If you're going to see that guy twice a year for the, you know, maybe the rest of your career. Right, right, right. And if he burns Andrew Booth specifically, that is just going to be like, <laughs> right, I, right, right. I will be on Twitter at that moment to see the reaction from Vikings fans. All right. So we've kind of gone item by item. Give me, give me the overall Quasi Adafo Mensa. It's your first off season grade. Yeah. So I would say free agency. I think we like just like a hard C, just like I, I didn't hate anything they did. Um, I didn't really love anything they did. I would have focused more on offense, but I think I would have made similar deals. Um, like we said, younger players for sure, but it would have been one year flyers. Like, you know, uh, Keelan Cole got signed this week. I would have thrown money at him to be your wide receiver three, wide receiver four, can play inside, outside, like just raise kind of the floor of everything. But that was fine. The draft for me, my thing is, even though I'm just mentioning defense, for me, I, the reason why I, I care so much about free agency and how you allocate is because I am a staunch believer, and, and it happened to the Bears too, you have to just take best player available. Like, do the Bears need a corner and a safety with their second-round picks? Like, no. Like, is Justin Fields going to have a tough year? Yes. Like, he has an offensive line that's terrible. He has no weapons. But I'm of the belief that you should just force a pick when I think Kyler Gordon was a first-round prospect at corner, just like Andrew Booth, I think a guy that fell out of the first. Um, so, yeah. So, for the Vikings, I'll give them a B for the draft. I don't mind. I like the players they got. The trades is, I guess, a part of it, but I don't think they did too poorly in the trades uh, because I do think they kind of killed the Packers in the Christian Watson deal. Um, and, yeah, I don't, I don't do much positional analysis besides, you know, taking a center in the top ten or something like that. But I don't rag on a guy – using a first-round pick on a safety, even though they probably should spend more on offense because Cine could be, you know, the starter for the next dozen years, which I know, I guess, is hindsight analysis. But take best player available always. Um, all right. Tell me this. Last question. Who wins the division first, Vikings, Bears, or Lions? I love this because I tweeted this the other uh, couple of weeks ago. The Lions. I am – if there was a futures market, I would be buying a ton of shares in the Detroit Lions. I am a – Huge Brad Holmes believer. Um, I don't even like the Jamison Williams trade, but I, I love almost everything they've done. Brad um, Bias. Brad Bias. Very Brad clear Bias and strong. Yeah. That's fair. That's fair. But I think they're just, for the most part, they're going about this the right way. I mean, the, it was the offensive line first. I think they have one of the best offensive lines in football. Now, if Aiden Hutchinson and Josh Pascal can come in and make an impact on the defensive line, they took two guys I really liked last year, Ali McNeil and Levi Muzarike. There's still some holes there for sure, but – they are building a football, and obviously you got to replace Jared Goff, but I, yeah, I, I would say Lions, and, I, and I'm like confident in, in, in that take. Yeah, and I think what we've seen from the Buffalo Bills is that just because your history is a pure tragedy does not mean that it can't change on a dime, and so I think that the Vikings should be concerned about the Lions, that they have handled everything post-Stafford really, really well. Um, you don't get to hang a banner for that, but I mean, they're, I think they are... Uh, if you're doing you're doing competitive rebuild and you stay in neutral, the Lions are moving forward. Uh, they're in drive. And the Bears, uh, that might be like 2025 type of situation before they can have a roster that's good enough to compete. Uh, Brad Spielberger at PFF underscore Brad on Twitter. What's your official title these days? I've always introduced you as Cap Guru, but you do so much more now for PFF. Yeah, I like to think so, at least. No, I'm st still the cap analyst. Um, that, that, that still works. You know, everyone, everyone's favorite, talking talking money. 
Okay. Uh, news desk aficionado. I don't know. Yeah. Occasional news. breaking news. <laughs> yeah. But somebody that I consistently learn so much from and people do not understand how often I DM you and I'm like, what is this in this contract? Or what's this with the cat? And you're always, uh, you, you run a great service of all beat reporters can just text you or DM you and ask you what's going on. So thanks so much for all of your time. Awesome breakdown of the Vikings off season. And uh, we'll do it again, man. We'll constantly be checking in and regrading and reevaluating. So thanks for the time. Thank you. Yeah. Like you said, what happens in OTAs happens in the playoffs, as they say. (laughs) 